0: Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. Look at average kilowatt-hour uses per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or in a month with similar extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232. Hi there, this is Shane Ray. I am your host for Central Indiana Today presented by Duke Energy. And this week we are talking with one of our own, I guess you could say, Mr. Casey Petrowski. He's the host of The Beatles Show, heard every Sunday at noon right here on WYRZ. And he has a new book out, and we're going to talk about that and maybe get a little more insight to um, how uh, he thinks as far as putting his show together, The Beatles Show, and whatever else comes to mind. Unfortunately, as you will hear me say at the end of the interview... We always just fight for time to talk. Uh, We're both uh, like-minded people as far as the Beatles go, and, well, radio in general. So, made for an interesting talk, I think. So, you don't want to miss it. Keep it right here for Duke Energy Presents Central Indiana Today.
1: Energy presents Central Indiana today. Shane Ray talks with the newsmakers in and around Hendricks County. And now your host, Shane Ray. Talking with me today, we have Mr.
0: Casey Petrowski. He, of course, is the host of The Beatles Show, which is heard every Sunday right here at noon on WYRZ. He's an author. He has written uh, for TV shows and uh, developing game shows, I guess is a good way to say it. And I'm going to jump right into it. We'll get uh, some quick background with him. But Casey, how are you today?
1: I'm fine, Shane. How are you
0: doing? And Thank you for this oh so glad uh, that you had some time for me i appreciate that uh and now let's talk about you you're an actor i've seen you on tv shows uh you uh, we've talked before in the past about you writing an episode of wkrp once of course was one of the inspirations for me being in radio so i don't know whether to hate you or love you <laughs>
1: <laughs> understandable there's plenty of times whether i don't know whether i should hate or love myself
0: <laughs> and of course, an author. We've talked about some of your books in the past, and you've got a new one out. How many books have you written so far, including this one? This
1: is the sixth one right now. There, <laughs> there are two others that are done that just have to get put out when this runs its course. Okay, and the new one is
0: called "The Best." I'm sorry, The Beatles' Top 101 Solo Songs, and I got to ask you, why 101?
1: Why not? Well, nine oh nine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, originally it was called the Beatles Top One Hundred Solo Songs, and in fact, that was the name of the series, the radio series, the series of shows we did on the Beatles Show that led to the book. But as I was putting the book together, I realized, oh, darn, there's this one song I really want to include. And I couldn't find anything else I wanted to drop to replace it. So I made it a top 101. And then when we did the uh, actual layout for the book, when it was virtually done, I'm going through it again. And I said, oh, I left this song out too. And I can't put the song, the, the book out without this song. So really, the top 101 became a top 102. And there's a tie for number 101. And then the other reason, and this didn't have much to do with it, was um, Billboard, and, not Billboard. Billboard has a hot 100, as you know, Shane, uh, but Cashbox and Record World have top 100, so they had them, and I was afraid that if I called it a top 100, originally the cover was supposed to have a chart in the background based on the Cashbox chart, and I just figured if I did that, that maybe leaves me open to some legal action from them, so I, I just changed it to a top 101, and I thought the name has a good rhythm, The Beatles' Top 101. Mm-hmm. Kind of like One After 909. So. Yeah, something like that. <laughs>
0: uh, you know what I found, uh, and of course for the listeners, full disclosure as, of, uh, as, as we're doing this, I haven't read the complete book, but I read quite a bit of it. You gave me a, an advanced uh, copy, so to speak. Don't, so. don't
1: worry, Shane. <clears throat> don't worry, Shane.
0: I haven't read it either. well every time someone says hey i listen to your station i say oh you're the one so (laughs) hey uh i'll tell you what i got right away from it was you said somewhere in there that it's not really meant to be a quote-unquote forgotten songs list and uh i i agree with that because you have the hits in there you have the b-sides and all that other kind of stuff album cuts I found that the book was uh, great for, and I think I've told you in the past, I'm not uh, a big follower of solo Beatles stuff, so um, I thought it was a great way for me to get introduced to some of these songs that were good are great, and uh, and just not getting the attention that uh, maybe they deserve. And uh, I even think you, you mentioned that somewhere. You're hoping that uh, the book brings some uh, attention and value to some of these songs that kind of got forgotten or got lost somewhere.
1: Yeah, you see, after the Beatles broke up, um, I think people thought that the the story of the band ended in terms of the music. And to, as a, a foursome, it was. It, it did. But they, they did so much great music after they broke up. And that really has been a meme of the Beatles show since the very start that, you know, I just think this music has gotten underserved simply because, and I did say this in the book, I know, that it's like uh, as, as recognizable as the names of the four Beatles are individually. They don't have the same power as the name Beatles. It's a brand name thing. You know um, and people just don 't because be, if you were to go and look at the charts the uh, uh, the, the streaming charts you used to be able to check out the iTunes chart on a daily basis, and you could see how like every track the Beatles ever did, mono and stereo versions and all this would be on the charts. And Or would have gotten uh, charted somewhere in the world. And you look at the solo stuff and virtually none of it except the absolute biggest titles are getting played now. And it's just been ignored. And people love, people love the Beatles music and they want more of it as, as is evidenced by how these repackages, these big box sets are selling every year. And there's no more to come. There's no more new music to come from the Beatles. So if you want more of this stuff, the best place to look for it is – in the the stuff they did on their own, because so much of it is really good and really reminiscent of the work the Beatles did together and that's that 's the thread the through line through the entire book is my opinion granted, but it 's like I can listen to any of those th- those are the one hundred and two best examples of songs that, as I listened to any of them, I said, I could hear the Beatles recording that. Some of them are obvious, and some of them you got to kind of weed through the imperfections of the song to say, Yep, yeah, the band still would have done that. And it's not the case with everything they did on their own. But it's the case with those 102 songs in the top 101.
0: Right, exactly. And, you know, uh, something else about, uh, fortunately, you and I have a similar sense of humor. Your wit comes out in the book. You didn't want to make this kind of a quote-unquote Joel Whitburn fact book. This is your opinion and uh, some of your own, of course, research and uh, things I assume you've learned from doing The Beatles Show for so long.
1: Sure. Well, all the, the entire text of – well, I won't say the entire text. Certainly the, the, the foundation and much of the text in the book came from just the show scripts that we did because the, the uh, Beatles' Top 100 Solo Songs was a 14-part series. And by the time I finished that, I had like – God, I had sixty or 70,000 words written then and maybe more, and I knew there was a book there, and then I just let it sit because of my own schedule for years, and then I finally decided to go ahead and finish it and then had to write a bunch more stuff to to fill out some of the shorter essays early on. And then, as I was writing newer things and replacing stuff, the the book wound up getting to be nearly a hundred thousand words, which i didn 't quite realize it was that much until I got there <laughs> <laughs> it's a well, lot of t- words yeah i'll tell you what
0: uh, let 's go ahead and jump into some of these i I was reading over this last night. I was jotting down notes, things I wanted to get your opinion on, or maybe even you you could expand on, or you can um, uh, even reply to uh, yeah deny if you <laughs> if you if you can uh, maybe even expand on some of my opinions of things you said uh, started off with Ringo and uh, out on the streets and yeah that was one of them I had never heard of course and I and here's another problem I had when you would mention some of these songs I'd have to go to YouTube or something and find them and say, what's he talking about on this? And uh, that slowed down the reading quite a bit.
1: But, but that's, that's okay. It's a worthwhile exercise. It's oh, if, absolutely. If you're not the only person that's going out and saying, I've got to hear what this guy wrote about here. I've got to hear this song. <laughs> and that if, if, that's what's, if that's what plugs you into it, then mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, there you go. Perfect. And what you
0: say about this one is uh, Ringo was dipping his toe into the disco uh, thing that was going on on the whole album but you said uh, you, that on the Beatles show you stripped that down uh, that song we did
1: and uh, yeah. made it sound different well we, all we did was I mean obviously I can't remix it but I can the, the problem with disco as you uh, remember unfortunately like a bad dream is that it's not the music so much uh, to me it was that it was in some cases a little too flamboyant but The biggest complaint I have about that is that disco would take a three-minute song, and because it was meant to be danced to, they would expand the song and repeat and repeat and repeat, and it would just stretch a song out of its normal boundaries. And I grew up listening to two- and three-minute records that were tight as hell, tight as a good rubber band. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the case with Out On The Streets. I lost some of the flamboyance and a lot of the repetition and tightened it up and made it, I think, the track we have... And I can send you that if you'd like, Shane, so you can hear it. Sure. Uh, our version of it. And uh, it turned it into about a three-and-a-half-minute track, which was normal at that time for a regular record. Mm-hmm. And uh, e- even with it, some disco touch, is still there. It still sounds like something to me from the Ringo album. Ringo's okay. having a good time singing it. He's he sounds drunk which he probably was yeah. but he's shouting the vocals there's a reference at the very end it's, it's all about what his life was at that time which was just partying all the time mm-hmm. and he's partying in New York City and the last verse says how he's at the, the night is over it's time to go home because it's dawn it's time to go to sleep and uh, he, he says he's going to go to the Dakota so he's referencing John and Yoko in the song so that made it an absolute that's another feather in its cap right you know
0: so. exactly uh let's uh jump down and I've, i'm going uh, start at the top but i'm skipping over some so um number 101 this one by paul you made an observation in there that i didn't think about and as a amateur musician you may be right after i once again i had to go back and listen to it uh you say there's no ending to the song
1: no that's it's like um they, they what, I'm, I'm, we're going to do this too maybe for uh, one of our odd fakes is that at the end of the song they just start uh, the, the, the band just keeps playing and is just throwing out lines and stuff and it looks like they're posing or it sounds like they're posing anyway mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like they really knew an end to the song if the Beatles had had that track all that they would have done was loop the chorus, repeat the chorus over and over, and fade it out, which is what we're going to do. And that would have made the song just work a whole lot better. Now, I don't think that affected the song's performance on the charts, which was virtually non-existent. Right. I don't think the song broke the top 85 nationally. <clears throat> and it's just a great record, and I can't understand why it did that poorly to this day. Uh, you know... But, uh, Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Shane. Please. Well, uh, yeah.
0: I was going to say, I, I remember at that time, and maybe you do too, when that came out, or about the time it came out, Paul had just done um, an episode of uh, 48 Hours, uh, the CBS uh, talk show. It's not a talk show. It's kind of a 60 minutes type thing. Right. And... Um, uh, 48 Hours he talks about that song and they talk about how and of course Paul was on tour through the US at that time and it was brand new uh, and they were saying oh yeah you got a new song and he talks about it and I kept waiting to hear it on the radio and I never really did
1: yeah yeah, that was a time when it was a down period for him, down, down period for the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I, I, I think I discussed this in the book. It's, uh, I know I've discussed it on the show. It's like after the Beatles broke up, I think a lot of the records that weren't very good were still pretty successful, although they did a lot of great records, as I said, or they wouldn't have been the book. Mm-hmm. But once Lennon was killed, at that point, the, the reason a lot of those records were successful was that people were saying, well, I'll buy this now, and this will do until the Beatles get back together again. Right. And then 1980, Lennon was killed, no Beatles reunion. So there was that big gush in the early 80s when everybody, all four of them really, had a lot of success back on the charts, even Ringo. And then once that subsided, then people lost interest in, I think people said, well, the whole Beatles thing is over. The Beatles weren't interested in being the Beatles again, mm-hmm. uh, and... No one was interested in their solo music because it wasn't the Beatles. Capitol even put out a greatest hits collection by the band mm-hmm. called 20 Greatest Hits. It had 20 number one records from the Beatles on it. And it, chart- it peaked on the national charts at number 50. Number 50. <laughs> now, when you, you compare that to what Beatles 1 did 15 years later, when it became the number one album in the country for nine years, with the Beatles firmly in back of it, and that just shows you uh, where the Beatles were in terms of public consciousness in the mid-80s. Oddly enough, that would change not because of Paul and, and as hard as he worked with every one of his releases, but with George Harrison. When Harrison came back first with Cloud Nine and Got My Mind Set on You and then the Wilburys, and that brought everybody back to the Beatles. Oddly enough, oddly, <laughs> George Harrison, it was George Harrison, the guy who didn't want to be a Beatle anymore, that brought the band back into, uh, into the forefront. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh and we could start a whole other conversation on that maybe another time. So, But yeah. speaking of George Harrison, let's jump down to number 98. Ding dong, ding dong. Um, let me see what I've written here. You talk about the first time you heard it. And what I'm about to ask you doesn't really have anything to do with what you wrote in the book. But you talk about the first time you heard it and you said you knew that was going to be a hit. Uh, or you yeah. believed it, it should have been a hit or a big hit or something like that. And, of course, even apparently George did too, you know, saying, right. oh, yeah, I, I, this is going to be a big one. I want this one. And it only made it to, I think you said, number 38 or something like that.
1: Yeah, it didn't break the top 35, I don't believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My question, though, is I had another author I was interviewing uh been uh, right before Christmas and uh, a local author named Jay Daniel wrote a book about the Phillies and in researching he went he was trying to set the time and in fact it's about the Phillies uh, winning the World Series Uh, and now the year escapes me all my sports listeners are going to think I'm crazy early 80s anyway around 1980 ish Mm -hmm. (laughs) so anyway right uh, in research he We had a discussion during the interview about people who give a review for a record or a TV show or something like that versus – or at the time versus going back and looking at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And our argument was always people who review it now – you know, the people who reviewed it when it came out, they're 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 talking about it against whatever else is out at the time. Now if we go back right. and say everything that did everything the Beatles did was great, well at the time it really wasn't necessarily because you know, you're comparing it to the other stuff that was out at the time. Any thoughts on that? Maybe that was a long winded piece of crap, but uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think, I think the Beatles music pretty much was great then. I, I think the, the uh, and it was better than virtually everything else that was out. I mean, there may have been a couple records that were as good as, what, there probably were a lot of records as good as the stuff the Beatles did. The, the, the difference is that the Beatles were consistently great. Whereas even some of the bands that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a, a, a number of them had a couple of good years. Love and Spoonful, Rascals, Mamas and Papas—they were in and out in two years, and they're still in there, and right. their music is phenomenal. But the Beatles did it for seven years, and they were incredibly prolific, and they pushed the envelope in the process of doing that. Yeah. One of the, one of the things about the book—and this wasn't intentional—is that um, I unintentionally tried to, I guess I created the context for a lot of these songs while I'm discussing them, in that um, um, why they weren't hits or why they were hits in that particular period, and what else was going on with the artist, with rock and roll, with the music industry, with society, and that all gets touched on, not in every essay, but in in a lot of them, and I think it it clarifies, it kind of speaks to what you're saying there about, yeah... um, uh, I think great music exists in its time, and I think that it exists beyond its time, too. Great, okay. great art, in any sense. And, and just to, uh, to, this goes in a different direction. Well, it, it refers to the same thing, but in a different context, in that um, It's a Wonderful Life and Singing in the Rain, two of the greatest movies of all time, weren't very well regarded when they came out right. by the critics. You know, yeah. not the case with the Beatles, and and I guess go, going back again is that I am hoping what happens now is that these songs, so many of them, the the lesser known ones, now get a second hearing. Hopefully, somewhat because of the book, and people begin to hear them, and we begin to build some kind of groundswell for saying, "Hey, this is more Beatles music. Include this with all the other stuff. Include this with the with the with the twelve albums."
0: Right. And, you know, you mentioned uh, in there about the little, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, rarely seen video that went with the song. And, of course, what did I have to do? I had to go look for it because I was one of them who had but. never watched the video. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, Now I don't know. I don't know if that got included in one of the box sets. I probably would have to have been in the um, the Dark Horse. No, it would have been in the Apple Years box set if they put in a DVD with that. Uh, they need uh, the, the video. If you looked on YouTube, the the color is pretty bad. They would have had to you yeah. know, restore that a little bit. But and the editing was pretty crappy too. Harrison did direct that, but um, you know. But it's still fascinating to see Harrison um, do that song because it does remove that stigma that he has of him being sour, right. being uh, you know being uh, kind of brut- brutish all the time. Right, which w- wasn't the case at all. I'm sure.
0: You know, you also mentioned in there, I didn't think about this, I didn't realize how close to Christmas that song was actually released, and you said, you know, very possible it would have been a bigger hit had it been released closer to Thanksgiving or something like that.
1: Absolutely. That That's his, although he doesn't reference Christmas, he's certainly referencing New Year's. Right. Maybe not intentionally, but, you know... Th- Capital Records was not perfect, and neither was I. Don't think yeah. EMI released that. Uh, Parlophone released it in England first, and it was the second single in America. And had they, and also Dark Horse was the first single, which was not a good record, largely because of Harrison's awful, the awful state of his voice at that point. Right. Um, and that I don't know if I cover this. I'm sure I covered it in the book because it's just basic stuff. If you put out a lousy record, and uh, It doesn't do well. If you're a name artist, you put out a a lousy record and it doesn't do well. Even if you put out a good record after that, because the first record did lousy, the second record is not going to do as well as it might. I mean, that's what happened with the Beatles and the Reunion records. Free as a Bird was not as strong as Real Love, yet it preceded it, and it it blunted Real Love's possibilities for success.
0: Yeah. Let's move on here. My Brave Face, that was the first time I think you mentioned that uh, you thought the, that a song deserved better than it got, and you hope by including it in the package gets a little more attention, uh, or as you say, makes up a little um, for, for that, and... Uh uh, I thought first off, I remember that song coming out and being. It got a lot of play where I came from in Western Kentucky, but I didn't. It wasn't until you mentioned uh, where it actually wound up on the charts. I realized it wasn't as big of a hit as it should have been.
1: Yeah, it was. Again, as I, as you mentioned, I, I, I I've been listening to records, music so long especially Beatles music, that I can tell when I hear a tune, I said, well, they're, they're back on point there. That's a great record. And I knew that with My Brave Face. I mean, he was playing his Hofner bass. He had the, the Beatlish harmonies in the background or all through the song. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was a, a smash. <clears throat> and it didn't get beyond number 23 nationally. And that's when I knew McCartney was really in trouble. I mean, his album sales and his singles had been doing less and less. But when My Brave Face came out and couldn't break the top 20, couldn't get to number one, I'm saying boy Paul is really in decline and he was and that that was the single that preceded this one and the bottom really dropped out with this one he couldn't even put a record in the top 80 much less the top 20
0: Yeah um I'm going to do a little combination here especially also for time's sake number 53 uh, was so bad, and that's the name of the song, let me say, uh, for the <laughs> listeners, uh, in combination with the one that I uh, had marked here where you the first time you mentioned a duo, which w- did not involve a beatle, which was Paul and George My- Michael, was, yeah. a, was a song. And so I wrote a note here to myself that you went ahead and included the duos, which I, I didn't expect you to do that. I didn't think about that, but sure, certainly they belong there. And since you mentioned it, uh, you talk about Say, Say, Say. First off, you weren't a fan. And no. uh, you say uh, you also make reference to um, the Stevie Wonder uh, duo, uh, Ebony and Ivory. And you say, right. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's something along the lines of Paul must have not been feeling like he could have a hit record on his own. And you say, um, if you feel like um, someone else's name is on the marquee, then you're not strong enough to carry the
1: show. You want to expand on that? Yeah, I, I, um, let's see what had happened. I, uh, uh, Ebony and Ivory came from uh, Tug of War, and before that, he had the McCartney album come out, and the McCartney album had coming up, which was a big record, mm-hmm. but the follow-up to that was a song called Waterfalls, which was a top 10 in England, but in America, it didn't get beyond number, uh, didn't even break the top 100. As a matter of fact, and uh, I think that Paul thought that, especially by what he did after Ebony and Ivory, that he did, he paired up with Michael Jackson. That if he couldn't get the Beatles back together again, and with John gone, that wasn't going to happen. Um, that he needed somebody else on the record with him to um, to make the record a success. And Stevie was perfect, and it was a, a, Ebony and Ivory is a great record and has a great message, but I think Paul needed to. Um, Pair up with felt he needed to pair up with somebody that a record that just said Paul McCartney wouldn't wouldn't work anymore, and it was proven by the fact that uh, he the he, he had less of su- uh, su- uh, singles that were less of successes after that on his own after the first singles from an album, but after he did um, Ebony and Ivory and say 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 the next record was No More Lonely Nights that was a top six then Spies Like Us which was a top. Barely a top ten, top seven, I should say. I shouldn't disregard just the record. And um, then after that, he was done. Never had another top ten record after that. So he could sense his own decline. Mm. Um, I I thought say 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 was I, I didn't even think it was a Paul. I thought originally I thought that Paul had not written that song that Michael Jackson did. And what I originally thought, and in the last minute, I changed this as well. Uh, I thought that. Um, The Girl Is Mine was a McCartney song that Jackson took full credit for. Since then, we've heard Michael's demo, or I've heard Michael's demo anyway. because It's been around for a while. And it's obvious it was Michael on his own. And frankly, Michael didn't need Paul McCartney on that record. The demo, they could have released the demo. was spectacular, frankly. Um, But Say, 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 I mean, I've never heard Paul write a song like that. Before or since, mm. and besides, it, it's a dance record. It's a it's a it's a Michael Jackson tune, right? Mm. And the lyrics are and the lyrics are dumb. Besides that, right. so that's why that song did not make the um, the the list. Did not make the top one one. I will say that we mentioned this on the show, on the commercials on the show, which you guys don't get, is that people buy the book and they send me they send to the Beatles show at the Beatles a scan or whatever, a copy of their receipt, I'll send them a whole bunch of bonus material, which I can send to you too, Shane, which I haven't done yet, as a matter of fact. And that covers, it's got all the 15, the, the the scripts for the 15 shows we did, plus it has all the deleted essays. We added 13 songs and lost 11, so we have those original 11 essays that were in the book until the very end, plus I wrote another bunch of essays. Uh, in a section called Notable Exceptions, where I talk about all the songs people might say, well, why wasn't this there? And I explain why it wasn't. And Say, Say, Say is on that list. And there's a long explanation that goes in, into more depth as to beyond what I just said about it but that's why it wasn't there. As for the the George Michael song, that was one of the last things that I'd forgotten to include and I had to include that. And I included it not just because well, it was just a terrific record, but it does sound like something Paul would would have written, although George wrote it by himself and did it by himself and basically he brought Paul in about a month after they did Live 8 together and did drive my car there and um they used the same instrumental track. They just Alternated the vocals. It's just a beautiful song that sounds so much like Paul would have written in the '60s. I hate to say that. Just a beautiful love song, and I again I don't understand why that record didn't chart. It didn't chart in England or America. Hmm. uh, That version of it, and um, you'd have thought coming around the time of the Beatles' anthology, it would have, but it did not surprisingly but a great record i mean people have to hear that it's just a wonder if you love mccartney if you love the beatles you got to hear that record and you'll love it yeah you'll love it
0: i uh, incidentally slipping back to so bad that's one that uh, oh, yeah. i always felt like was a, uh, a a song that should have gotten a whole lot more than what it did
1: And if it was a Beatles track, it would have. It's a classic McCartney ballad, and beautifully done. You know, and George Martin produced that, so you got the you have some strings in there that sound just beautifully. George Martin really knew how to use orchestration in a song. Just gorgeous and and uh, that's just another that's another reason why I wrote the damn book you know <laughs> that should have been a number one and right. if the Beatles had recorded or put their if even if McCartney and Ringo who plays drums on the track even if they just recorded it and put it out as the Beatles it would have been a number one record mm-hmm. in 1986 and that's you know that's why the book came along is that so many of these titles had just been underserved and under under uh, undernoticed and underappreciated And maybe we can make some people like you you found a few songs you didn't know and hopefully you like them better and as you go through the book you'll find more
0: right you know? um, you may have coined a phrase that i had never heard before you can tell me if you stole it or not but um, number 91 you mentioned sally g uh and you talk about the records that came out uh around the same time by paul and of course that is a paul song but you mentioned high 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 rock show girls school and juniors farm it <laughs> Bubblegum metal
1: I have never that's heard the term. Huh? That's my phrase. That's my phrase. I I may have heard it, but I don't think so. But I, you know,
0: that's... I totally agree on High, High, High Rock Show and Girls School. Those were definitely, to me, uh, and of course, they're in our rotation here because they were on the charts here at WY I mean, they were on the charts, so they're in our rotation on WYRZ. But when I hear them, I think, it just sounds like Paul either trying to recapture Kansas City... Or something. I mean, it's a lot of hollering and a lot of hard guitars and maybe even a little psychedelia. I don't know, like on a rock show. Junior's Farm, I actually liked, even though you do mention in there that it has nonsense lyrics, and you are correct. Right. But um, yeah. bubblegum metal, I had never heard that before, but I like it.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. I think he was he was trying to. Play to two audiences at once: the FM radio audience and the AM radio audience. Although Mm -hmm. AM was still was dying by the mid seventies, beginning to anyway. He was trying to go go for the people that were listening to Top Forty and the people that were listening to album tracks. And um, the Beatles, the Beatles did it better. Yeah, the the Beatles did it better with like "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" or "Birthday" or something like that. They did it a whole lot better. Number eighty
0: three. Uh, was the first you mentioned of John Lennon Bring on the Lucy Free to People um, surprised that you
1: waited all the way down to number 83 um, the problem with John's music and I think he's I, I haven't done a count since I updated the the, uh, the book and updated the list we, when we originally did the list it was almost s- split evenly between the four Beatles uh, with Ringo having a, a diminished number of songs As the, when the book came out Ringo has a lot more tunes and we pulled from George and from Paul and, and maybe a couple from John the problem with John is he, he's got the, the thinnest resume as a solo artist of any of the Beatles there's only so many things we could pull from. Right. Him. there's only so many songs we could name because he only recorded so many Right, unfortunately
0: yeah, um, we'll do a combination here because they kind of uh, have a similar similar theme on them uh, not the lyrics but uh, what you say about them number 79 was early 1970 which by the way was a song I had never heard until you played it on the show and then I really? put it in our rotation love that one by Ringo yeah. uh, you call it the best two-sided single by a solo Beatle uh, I'll let you talk about that and then I'll bring up something else
1: well, the other side of early 1970 is It Don't Come Easy, which mm-hmm. is um, just, I think, it, I don't want to give away too many of the, the numbers in the book, but that was, I think, number five or number four. It's it's just a marvelous record that I think, uh, to me, it, uh, you know, it, it'd be easy to dismiss Ringo Starr mm-hmm. as a guy who, who just happened to be in a band with three, with three geniuses right. and got taken along for the ride, you know, but... What history has shown over the last 50 years now is that Ringo's a marvelous songwriter. He's become a very good singer. He's still a terrific drummer. And he writes, if you want to listen to what Beatles music would sound like Today, pick up a copy of his last album. Give more love. That's what it would sound like. You've got to replace the lead guitarist and imagine what George would be doing playing that. But in terms of the melodies and the way the not just that they're melodic songs, but they're melodic and the way the Beatles songs are melodic. And I'm not enough a musician or music expert to be able to define that. I just know it when I hear it. But mm-hmm. um, uh, it don't come easy. Was a revelation because not only did he write another. Great melody as he had with the Beatles with the "Don't Com- with uh, Don't Pass Me By" in Octopus's Garden. Here he was saying something. He was talking about peace mm-hmm. and and the struggles in life and did it eloquently. Just gorgeous set of lyrics and just beautiful, perfect song. I mean, it, and I've said that about so many of the Beatles. It's just perfect. You wouldn't change a note of it in all three minutes of it. In terms of the, the way the horns come in, the background vocals, Ringo's vocal. Uh, the the lyrics are just perfect you know and then you put with it on the other side this cute cuddly song called early 1970 where he's talking <laughs> about how the Beatles are getting along with one another which pretty amazing that he would do that and uh, again just a great melody and great vocal on the part of Ringo clever song catchy song uh just an, an endearing piece of music. And there was there was not a better two-sided single from any of the Beatles than that. I, maybe I can find one if I think about it. Good Night Tonight would be close. Good Night Tonight and Daytime, Nighttime Suffering. And I think those are the only two B-sides that are on the, the top 101, those two songs, Early 1970 and, and Daytime, Nighttime Suffering. But I don't think the Beatles, who gave us so many great two-sided singles when they were together— that any of them individually gave us a better two-sided single than than the one Ringo did.
0: You know, you mention, uh, and I, I had heard this, but I didn't think about it until you pointed it out during that song. Is when he starts off, you know, talking about George, and the end of the line is when I when he comes to town, I know he's going to play with me. Then you then he mentions uh, John, and when he comes to town, I know he's going to play with me. And then when he mentions Paul. When he comes to town, I hope he's going to play with me. Something along those lines. So he's sure about George and John, but Paul, he's a little worried that you know, is he still going to come and play with me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's they're on the outs. That uh, they were on the outs at that point. Obviously, they have they have since repaired things and it's been you know they. I'm sure, like any members of families, members of a family, they go in and out with one another, even though it's just the two of them. Uh, But. Generally speaking, they loved one another, and I think all four of them loved one another, and I think, you know, love conquered whatever uh, eagle battles they had, whatever business battles they had, and I think, you know, uh, when all was said and done, the four of them, uh, through the end of Lennon's life, they were all close. I, I, f- from what I could gather, the four of them spent a lot of time together, not as a foursome, but in twos and threes right. throughout the 70s, just out of the spotlight. And just so they wouldn't have to deal with the rumors that, oh, Lennon and McCartney are together are the Beatles. This is a prelude to a Beatles reunion. <laughs> I think they wanted to keep that on the down low. There's a great line at the very end of the Beatles anthology book that came from John, which obviously he said before his death and was given. It was in the Playboy interview originally where he said, the Beatles are, the Beatles are over, but John, Paul, George, and Ringo go on. And I think that, that's really what he was saying. Yeah. I don't know whether he was conscious of it. Yeah, Which is great to know. Which is great to know.
0: Exactly. Um, We'll do one more, and uh, because it's connected in a similar way, and it's a Ringo song. We dropped down 10 from 79 to 69, and it's ooh-wee. And something I didn't realize that you point out in there is that either should have, could have, or possibly was supposed to be an A-side because of maybe some advanced pressings, um, and there was also a special edit, but then it somehow got put on a B side. And as you call them, the car salesman, I call them the suits. You know, <laughs> in the uh, the heads of uh, the record companies, somebody said, uh, "Let's just let's just throw it over here." Or, you know, whatever the case may be. So we don't really know the story about why a B song got a special edit and why there were special uh, pressings of the forty five of that one.
1: Yeah, I, I don't understand what happened there. I mean, I, I'm pretty clear on the fact that when they were looking at what, what the third single was going to be for Goodnight Vienna, from Goodnight Vienna, they decided it was going to be the title tune because John was on the record and John wrote it, and they thought that would be a selling point. Because if you listen to the two tracks, there's no comparison in my mind as <coughs> to which is the stronger song. Uh, I, I do not know, you know, I... I might be able to get an answer for you because <laughs> I've, I've had contact with the guy that I mentioned on the show a bunch of times named Randall Davis, who put together the Beatles rarities and the Beatles uh, real music albums. And he might be able to answer that question as to why they why they did that. Believe me, they the people from what Randall has told me um, in a letter that I just got from him, um, they they don't know anything more about constructing music or uh, music theory or music anything about the, the actual art of music than the people who sell cars or who run car companies know about designing cars or or any features about cars other than, you know, how to put a key in and turn the darn thing on, right. you know. So I, I think I would love to know why they decided that this B-side is going to get a we're going to edit this song just to put it on the B side. Um, I, I don't think they ever intended for that to be the A side of the record. They did put out, as you saw in the book, because there's a visual of it, I believe, mm-hmm. a, uh, a pressing of the, uh, the single, of that side of the single alone. They mm-hmm. actually sent out pressings of just ooey on its own. I don't quite know why they did that. Oh, the other thing, which I didn't mention in the book, and I would love for some bootlegger to do this, for a lot of the Beatles singles... Uh, the solo stuff during the seventies, while they were still on Apple, they actually, because AM radio was still around, AM radio and mono, mm-hmm. they made mono mixes of those singles. Now, yes. they may be just straight mix downs of the stereo mix, but somebody needs to take all those mono solo singles mm-hmm. and put them out on a on a bootleg, and uh, or on on an album. I mean, if, if Apple want, if Apple wants to do that, God bless it. I'll bless them. I'll buy the darn thing. Yeah, you know. But that's another—that's more music from the Beatles that we haven't officially gotten yet, because those are all—all those weren't even released, uh, you know, in the stores. They were just sent to radio stations. Yeah. Somebody should do that. I agree. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and some, of course, we we'll start a whole other conversation about how mono mixes for radio were different than what wound up on the album, and lots of them were lost in the vaults, if you will, or whatever right. else, and who knows, you know, short of a what they call a needle drop. Uh, you know a copy of the 45 or the album or whatever you're looking for there may not ever get to hear those original mono mixes because you know no one thought that they would be useful again after that
1: well paul well paul with his all these repackages that he's putting out is actually putting out the single the uh, at least the single edits he's at least releasing those uh on his on his solo albums the the idea of releasing the, the DJ mono mixes is something they haven't broached yet, and they ought to do that, even if, even if it means, and I'm sure they hesitate doing this, uh, putting out an album with music from the four of them in one package. Yeah. you know, um, Which I think is going to happen at some point, I'm sure. They, there was an EP a few years ago that they put out on, um, on iTunes as a free download called Four, and it had John, Paul, George, Ringo. No, and Ringo, just John, Paul, George, Ringo. And it was a solo track from each of the four of them. And it's the first time that solo music has been commingled like that officially with the Beatles' approval because hmm. uh, Paul owned the track that they used from him and Ringo owned the track that they used from him. So both Be- uh, the, the John and, and George tracks, EMI owned. So they didn't have to get anybody's permission to, do, uh, to, to put those out. Hmm. But to use the tracks that Paul and Ringo uh, were featured on. Um, they 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 are literally owned by those two Beatles. So I think at some point in time, you you know a lot of the stuff that's going to be that's in the book is going to be on an album with three songs from John, three songs from Paul, three songs from George, and three songs from Ringo. And hey, it's a Beatles album.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Unfortunately uh we're gonna have to cut this off uh as you and i know i mean when we get on the phone uh or when we start talking or whatever the case may be we're fighting for time but uh, (laughs) but anyway we want to remind everyone the beatles top 101 solo songs and it's by casey petrowski how can people find the book
1: it's on Amazon.com now, and uh, after that, uh, we've got here in LA. We've got it in one store right now, and I'm really thrilled about that. It's in Amoeba Records in LA, which is great. Um, but uh, after the book has been around for a few months, then I believe I've got the right to, to get it to some other distributors and maybe at a better price. But um, if you like what you see, I, I, I'm very proud of the book. I wanted to do something like this to feature this music and to really present it in a in a way that gives it the, the respect it deserves, and I think I've done this. Plus, I think the, the writing is good. There's all kinds of visuals in it, and um, you know, let, let it, and there's sample pages on Amazon, so you can check it out for yourself. Yeah,
0: it's all good stuff. And of course, we're going to talk about it here on the radio station for a while. And we're really proud of you. We're glad to be associated with the Beatles show. So,
1: and likewise, likewise yeah. on this end.
0: All right, Casey. Thanks for being our guest today on Central Indiana Today.
1: Thank you very much, and I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Central Indiana Today with your host, Shane Ray. This program has been sponsored by Duke Energy. Duke Energy offers
0: these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. And if you have a smart meter, check online to see if a daily usage analysis tool is available. Smart meters collect usage information by the hour, so checking spikes throughout the month, by the day, and even the hour can show what appliances and behaviors are increasing your bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232.